Hello, my darling, and welcome to today's story time. Carter sailed out of Dilathleen one early morning when the tide turned. There he saw the first rays of sunrise on the thin, angular towers of that dismal, basalt town. And for two days, they sailed eastward in sight of green coasts, and saw often the pleasant fishing towns that climbed up steeply with her red roofs and chimney pots from old dreaming wharves and beaches where nets lay drying. But on the third day, they turned sharply south where the roll of the water was stronger and soon passed from sight of any land. On the fifth day, the sailors were nervous but the captain apologized for their fears, saying that the ship was about to pass over the weedy walls and broken columns of a sunken city too old for memory, and that when the water was clear, one could see so many moving shadows in that deep place that simple folk disliked it. He admitted, moreover, that many ships had been lost in that part of the sea, having been hailed when quite close to it, and never seen from again. That night the moon was very bright, and one could see a great way down in the water. There was so little wind that the ship could not move much, and the ocean was very calm. Looking over the rail, Carter saw many fathoms deep the dome of a great temple, and in front of it, an avenue of unnatural sphinxes leading to what was once a public square. Dolphins sported merrily in and out of the ruins, and porpoises reveled clumsily here and there, sometimes coming to the surface and leaping clear out of the sea. As the ship drifted on, the floor of the ocean rose in hills, and one could clearly mark the lines of ancient climbing streets and the washed-down walls of many small houses. Then the suburbs appeared, and finally a great lone building on a hill of simpler architecture than other structures and in much better repair. It was dark and low and covered four sides of a square with a tower at each corner, a paved court in the center, and small curious round windows all over it. Probably it was basalt, though weeds draped the greater part, and such was its lonely and impressive place on that far hill that it may have been a temple or a monastery. Some phosphorescent fish inside it gave the small round windows an aspect of shining, and Carter did not blame the sailors much for their fears. Then by the watery moonlight, he noticed an odd high monolith in the middle of the central court, and saw something tied to it. And when, after getting a telescope from the captain's cabin, he saw that the bound thing was a sailor, in the silk robes of Oriob, head downward, without any eyes. 
and he was glad that a rising breeze soon took the ship ahead to more healthy parts of the sea. The next day, they spoke with the ship with violet sails bound for Tsar, a land of forgotten dreams. It had bulbs of strange colored lilies for cargo. And on the evening of the eleventh day, they came in sight of the Isle of Oriop, and there was Negranic, rising jagged and snow-crowned in the distance. Oriob is a very great isle, and its port of Baharna is a mighty city. The wharves of Baharna are of Porifiri, and the city rises in great stone terraces behind them, having streets of steps that are frequently arched over by buildings, and the bridges between buildings. There is a great canal, which goes under the whole city in a tunnel. There are granite gates, and it leads to the inland lake of Vioth, on whose farther shore are the vast clay-brick ruins of a primal city whose name is not remembered. As the ship drew into the harbor that evening, the twin beacons, Thon and Thal, gleamed a welcome, and in all the million windows of Baharna's terraces, mellow lights peeped out, quietly and gradually, as the stars peep out overhead in the dusk, until that steep and climbing seaport became a glittering constellation, hung between the stars of heaven and the reflections of those stars in the still harbor were glorious. The captain, after landing, made Carter a guest in his own small house on the shore of Yath, and his wife and servants brought strange, toothsome foods for the travelers to light. And in the days after that, Carter asked for rumors and legends of Negranic in all the taverns and public places where lava gatherers and image-makers meet. But he could find no one who had been up in the higher slopes or seen the carven face. Negranic was a hard mountain with only an accursed valley behind it. And besides, one could never depend on the certainty that night gaunts are altogether fabulous. When the captain sailed back to Dilathleen, Carter took quarters in an ancient tavern which opened on an alley of steps in the original part of town. There was built of brick, and it resembled the ruins of Yath's farther shore. Here he laid plans for the ascent of Negranek, and there he correlated all that he had learned from the lava gatherers about the roads thither. The, ke the keeper of the tavern was a very old man, and had heard so many legends that he was a great help. He even took Carter to an upper room in that ancient house and showed him a crude picture which a traveler had scratched on the clay wall in the olden days when men were bolder and less reluctant to visit Negrenek's higher slopes. The old tavern keeper's great-grandfather had heard from his great-grandfather that the traveler who scratched that picture had climbed Negrenek and seen the carven face here drawing it for others to behold. But Carter had very great doubts, since the large rough features of the wall 
were hasty and careless, and wholly overshadowed by a crowd of little companion shapes in the worst possible taste, with horns and wings and claws and curling tails. At last, having gained all of the information he was likely to gain in the taverns and public places of Baharna, Carter hired a zebra and set out one morning on the road by Yath shore for those inland parts wherein towers stony Negramic. On his right were rolling hills, and pleasant orchards, and neat stone farmhouses, and he was much reminded of those fertile lands that flank the sky. By evening, he was near the nameless ancient ruins on Yath's farther shore, and though he was warned not to camp there at night, he tethered his zebra to a curious pillar before a crumbling wall, and laid his blanket in a sheltered corner beneath some carvings whose meaning none could decipher. Around him he wrapped another blanket, for the nights are cold in Oriath. During the night, he thought he felt the wings of some insect brushing his face, so he covered his head altogether and slept in peace until roused by the Magah birds in distant resin groves. The sun had just come up over the great slope, where on leagues of primal brick foundations and worn walls and occasional cracked pillars and pedestals stretched down desolate to the shore of Yoth, and Carter looked about for his tethered zebra. Great was his dismay to see the docile beast stretched prostrate beside the curious pillar to which it had been tied, and still greater was he vexed on finding that the steed was quite dead, with all its blood sucked away through a singular wound in its throat. His pack had been disturbed, and several shiny knick-knacks taken away, and all around on the dusty soil were great webbed footprints, for which he could not in any way account. The legends and warnings of the lava-gatherers occurred to him, and he thought of what had brushed his face in the night. Then he shouldered his pack and strode on towards Negranek, though not without a shiver, when he saw close to him, as the highway passed through the ruins, a great gaping arch, low in the wall of the old temple, with steps leading down into darkness farther than he could peer. His course now led uphill through wilder and partly wooded country, and he saw only the huts of charcoal burners, and the camps of those who gathered resin from the groves. The whole air was fragrant with the psalm, and all the Magaw birds sang blithely as they flashed their seven colors in the sun. Near sunset, he came upon a new camp of lava gatherers returning with laden sacks from the granite's lower slopes, and here he also camped, listening to the songs and tales of the men and overhearing what they whispered about a companion they had lost. He had climbed high to reach a mass of fine lava above him, and at nightfall did not return to his fellows, 
When I looked for him the next day, I found only his turban. Nor was there any sign on the crags below that he might have fallen. They did not search any more, because the old men among them said it would be of no use. No one ever found what the night gaunts took, nor those beasts themselves were so uncertain as to be almost fabulous. Carter asked them if night gaunts sucked blood and liked shiny things and left webbed footprints, but they all shook their heads negatively and seemed frightened at his making such an inquiry. When he saw how taciturn they had become, he asked no more, but went instead to sleep in his blanket. The next day, he rose with the lava gatherers and exchanged farewells as they rode west, and he rode east on a zebra he had bought from them. Their older men gave him blessings and warnings, and told him he had better not climb too high on the granite. But while he thanked them heartily, he was in no wise dissuaded, for still he did feel that he must find the gods of unknown Kadath and win from them a way to that haunting and marvelous city in the sunset. By noon, after a long uphill ride, he came upon some abandoned brick villages of the hill people. They had once dwelt host in a granite, and had carved images from its smooth lava. Here they had dwelt until the days of the old tavern keeper's grandfather. But about that time, they felt that their presence was disliked. Their homes had crept up on the mountain slope, and the higher they built, the more people they would miss when the sun rose. Eventually, they decided it would be better to leave altogether, since things were sometimes glimpsed in the darkness, which no one could interpret favorably. So in the end, all of them went down to the sea and dwelt in Baharna, inhabiting a very old quarter and teaching their sons the old art of image-making. It was from these children of the exiled hill people that Carter had heard the best tales about Negranic when searching through Baharna's ancient taverns. All this time, the great gaunt side of Negranic was looming up higher and higher as Carter approached it. There were sparse trees on the lower slope and feeble shrubs above them. And then the bare, hideous rock rose spectral into the sky and mixed with frost and ice and eternal snow. Carter could see the rifts and ruggedness of that somber stone and did not welcome the prospect of climbing. In some places there were solid streams of lava and scoriatic heaps that littered slopes. But it was ninety eons ago, before even the gods had danced upon its pointed peak, that the mountain had spoken with fire and roared with the voices of the inner thunders. Now it towered all silent and sinister, bearing on the hidden side that secret titan image whereof rumor told 
and there were caves in that mountain, which might be empty and alone with elder darkness, or might, if legend spoke truly, hold horrors of a form not to be surmised. The ground sloped upward to the foot of Negranek. It was thinly covered with scrub oaks and ash trees, and strewn with bits of rock, lava, and ancient cinder. There were the charred embers of many camps, where the lava gatherers were wont to stop, and several crude altars, which they had built either to propitiate the great ones, or to ward off what they dreamed of in the Granite's high passes and labyrinthine caves. At evening, Carter reached the farthermost pile of embers and camped for the night, tethering a zebra to a sapling and wrapping himself well in his blanket before going to sleep. All through the night, a vunith howled distantly from the shore, but Carter felt no fear of the amphibious terror, since he had been told with certainty that not one of them dares even approach the slopes of Negranek. In the clear sunshine of morning, Carter began the long ascent, taking his zebra as far as that useful beast could go, but tying it to a stunted ash tree when the floor of the thin road became too steep. Thereafter, he scrambled up alone, first through the forest with its ruins of old villages and overgrown clearings, and then over the tough grass where anemic shrubs grew here and there. He regretted coming clear of the trees, since the slope was very precipitous, and the whole thing rather dizzying. At length, he began to discern all the countryside spread out beneath him. Whenever he looked around, there were the deserted huts of the image-makers, the groves of resin trees, and the camps of those who gathered. There were the woods where prismatic magas nest and sing, and even a hint very far away of the shores of Yath, and of those forbidding ancient ruins whose name is forgotten. He found it best not to look around, and kept on climbing and climbing, until the shrubs became very sparse, and there was often nothing but the tough grass to cling to. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and creepy dreams. <laughs>